Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we've heard a lot in the news about the kingdoms of the world, and the kings of the world finally decided, at least one of them, that uh, you get to decide whether or not you have to uh, be a part of a society of that are aborting their children. Well, when in the Bible did we see a lot of people aborting children that... Uh, a lot of people don't even recognize where that is in the Bible, but in the bondage of Egypt, they were, according to the Greek text, were casting out their brephos, which is actually the word that would mean like fetuses. Uh, not just small children, but actually fetuses. And of course, we know that at least 600 BC, there was common substances that people took as a pessary to cause an abortion. So that idea of aborting your child uh, has been around for thousands of years. And evidently, the bondage of Egypt actually contributed to the idea of aborting your children. That you would cause the the term, uh, termination of the pregnancy. And uh, that was supposedly legalized by Roe versus Wade. Those people who actually understand how the law works know that Roe versus Wade did not really legalize abortion. Uh, they they created certain attitudes towards abortion, uh, supposedly by some sort of uh, uh, legislation from the bench. But of course, that's not what the purpose of the Supreme Court is. The Supreme Court is the ruling judges who decide what is good and evil for you in relationship to the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the United States, of course, we know from our studies, is not a biblical document. It actually does not include the five requirements for a biblical constitution. Uh, it doesn't require, uh, it doesn't even include uh, more than possibly one of those five ingredients for a biblical constitution. But if you talk to a lot of people who think they are Christians today, they will, they will say, well, yeah, the Bible was divinely, ins- uh, the, the constitution was divinely inspired that it's a biblical document and it shows that we trust in God. Well, if you trusted in God, you wouldn't have ever wrote the Constitution to begin with. Not that I'm saying that that is the cause of your problems, that that is the source of evil in the world. Uh, it is not, but it is an instrument of your present bondage in Egypt. We were told when we were freed from the bondage of Egypt to never go back to the bondage of Egypt and that was one of the things that you were to put in your constitution that your your presidents, your prime ministers, your your legislator, your lawmakers could do, not, do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. That was to be written into your constitution and read to your leaders every day. 
by your priests. And of course your priests are the ones that help you practice pure religion. And pure religion is how you take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. Impure religion is like socialism where you use covetous practices to help take care of the needy of your society. We call that legal charity, or at least we did in the 1800s. Now we call it entitlements. That you have an entitlement to health care, to, to abortion, to, to uh, welfare, to social security. You have an entitlement to these things. You have a right to these things. And you don't care about the cost to your neighbor. Because that, in essence, is a covetous practice. So, of course, we know that the religion you end up with, when you have no pure religion, and pure religion is how you take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity, the religion you end up with is socialism. And socialism is just the beginning of communism, and communism is the beginning of destruction. I actually saw somebody posting that... that uh, they somebody posted something about Karl Marx, and uh, they were saying that, uh, oh, you don't understand Karl Marx. You're ignorant uh, of the social difficulties at the time where, where there were uh, industrialization and, and workers were being abused. Workers have always been abused by the difficulty of working for a living. <laughs> you think it was easy before the industrial age? People eked out a living and often starved when there was climate change. Uh, it was very difficult to survive in the world. And so people had to come together and work together. And of course, if you, if you had a, a difficulty in the area in which you lived, uh, your, uh, your, uh, likelihood of perishing without the assistance of other people was very high. That life was difficult. Men and women worked together, communities worked together, and neighboring communities would work together. And with the rise of political governments where they could put hundreds, even thousands of soldiers into the field of battle and invade the neighboring community... Communities had to come together. And in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, we tell about in about 600 A.D. that uh, certain rulers were massing armies and subjugating the people, uh, oppressing the people, forcing the people to pay them taxes so that they could support their army and, and the other wealthy things that they wanted to have at their disposal. And people came from miles around from valley, from, uh, distant valleys and hilltops and mountains, and they came to defend the freedom of people in a, a community miles and miles away from them. How did they do that? How did they know to do that? They didn't, you know, text them on their cell phones. Well, it was because people were networking, and they were the networking in 600. A.D. was the leftover networking of Christianity because Christ had commanded that his people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Demanded, commanded actually his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they could have 
a daily ministration of help, uh, rightly dividing the bread from family to family so that they could get through whatever shortages might come. And we see that right away in the first century church where Paul is going around and Barnabas is going around and Timothy is going around helping to divide the resources of the Christian community with the Christian community to help take care of one another. And they did it entirely without oppressing their neighbor, without forcing the contributions of their neighbor. They did it entirely through charity. When you resort to legal charity, which is the men who exercise authority, forcing the contributions of your people, of the people in your community, you will soon go into bondage. Early Americans knew this. They wrote the Constitution anyway, but then you added things to it through the organic nature of the Constitution so that with your men like FDR, who was like Nimrod, could build Babylon the Great, at where the people and all they own is not owned by them, but owned by somebody else. To, so that you come to a place where you own nothing and you think you're happy because you're comfortable because you have the unrighteous mammon to draw rewards and wages from. You can live at the expense of others and depend for your livelihood on the property of others, forcing the contributions of your neighbor so that you can have benefits, advantage, free stuff. And so, that's a lot to take in. If you haven't been listening to the program on a regular basis, if you haven't been using the podcast, Keys to the Kingdom, on a regular basis, if you have not been looking at all the research that we've been doing on a regular basis for, for, uh, regular basis for decades and decades, you may not understand what I'm talking about. But people think, oh, we are, we're getting somewhere because we have the Supreme Court has now said it's not okay to force your neighbor to uh, to pay for your abortion. Of course, they'll tell you that oh, well, the, the government doesn't pay for those abortions, but they support them, and they do in a, a roundabout sort of way support them. But the problem isn't that the government supports them or has supported them or have had this theoretical Roe versus Wade that is so supposedly suddenly been overturned. It's the fact that the people were willing and desirous. Now you have protests where people are de- protesting the fact that they can't as or won't be able to abort their children in their womb as easily as they could last week. So what? what is the moral decay of society? And that moral decay comes from the fact that you've been taking a bite out of one another since FDR and even before. With the institution of public supported, I shouldn't say public supported, tax supported public education. You, you turned down a road. You went down a river that took you away from understanding and righteousness. It took you into a land of darkness. It took you into a place where you could not see what was good or what was evil. 
You could try to figure it out, but you could not see it because you it took you into a land of darkness. So what does all this mean? Well, uh, I was contemplating what I was going to be talking about today. Somebody asked me yesterday, and I said, well, I, you know, I, I do a lot of studying, a lot of reading, a lot of praying about things, writing things down, building the website constantly as I do my research. Uh, but I don't know till the show starts. And uh, then I, I start telling you what what I what is put on my heart today. And you know, last night I, I noticed that uh, the series on Zephaniah that we did, one of the minor prophets. Uh, I hadn't put the audios up, so I put the audios up. And there's actually three three different audios that go to that study on Zephaniah. And you can go to preparingyou.com and look up the Bible, look up Zephaniah, and you can see those audios there that you can play while you read the footnotes that are in the side panel and, and read the text of Zephaniah and find out what the politics of Zephaniah was. What's the politics of the Bible? Now, we just mentioned to you that there are five basic things that are to be, the Bible tells you to be put in a constitution if you decide to have rulers who can exercise authority or make laws or, or regulate what is good and evil in your society. If you're going to have those kinds of men, those offices, you know, what Rome called the Apotheos and Principas Civitas and Imperator. They, they divided those up into three offices. And at times, Augustus held all three, but not always. But what were they? What were those offices? Well, we've talked about that. You can look those things up, too, at uh, Preparing You. And we have articles and audios that will explain them to you. But... The politics of God is that you do not give that power to other men. And if you're going to give some power to other men to do certain things, you have to limit that power. And that's why the Bible tells you in Deuteronomy what and how to limit the power of your government. That you write it down that they can't do this and they can't do that and they don't have a right to do this. And that's what we call the Constitution is limiting the power of government. But you don't even know what those five precepts are unless you've been listening to us. Because I haven't found anybody who points that out. And yet it specifically states in there those five things that you were to write down. And if you if you wrote them down, your government would not have the power today to give you all these gifts, gratuities, and benefits that Plutarch says is the greatest destroyers of liberty. You think the government is taking away your liberty now? Or has been with things like Roe versus Wade? You always had the liberty not to abort your children. You always had the liberty to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another so you did not have to sign up for a system of sacrifice, a system of Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect. But you did not follow that way. You took a different path. And this is what we're showing you. All the minor prophets are showing us the distinction between the 
path of righteousness and the path of unrighteousness. The righteous mammon and the unrighteous mammon. Because there is a righteous mammon. If there's an unrighteous mammon, there must be a righteous mammon. How does that work? And of course, that's what Christ did when he cast out the money changers, which is firing the bankers in the temple, which was a bank. We've done a whole series on that. Where you understand that the temple of Ephesus was a bank, the temple of Jerusalem was a bank, the temple of Roma was a bank. They had treasuries. And they mounted up funds in those treasuries. And, and with those funds, they were able to take care of the needy of society. It wasn't pure religion. Because they depended on men who exercised authority to force the contributions of the people. John the Baptist wouldn't use force. He said you do it with charity. Christ, of course, didn't use force. He said you do it with charity or love. Which is the same word in the, Hebrew, in the Greek. Same word we see translated love. The same word we also see translated charity. Because you're supposed to be providing all the social welfare of your society through charity. That's pure religion. If you're not doing it through charity, you're not practicing pure religion. You're actually practicing something that I was going to talk to you about, but not going to say much about it this week. We'll get it next week. Or whenever God says to get onto it. But there were two words in the, the Latin for religion. Both words are sometimes translated religion. Both words are sometimes thought of as religion. But they are as different as night and day. They are as different as darkness and light. One of the words, of course, is religiere in, in the Latin. In Greek, it would be threskia. But religiere means to something to do with binding and rebinding. Religiere. Religiere being to bind. Well, does religion bind you? Well, I mean, how would it do that? Well, pure religion binds society with the social bonds of care, social bonds of reciprocating honor, social bonds of of love for one another. That's what pure religion does. Socialism doesn't do that. Socialism binds you by contract. Covenants and contracts where you get entitlements. Where you don't live by faith and hope and charity. You live by force and fear and fealty. And when you go under force and fear and fealty your rulers get more and more power and your society gets weaker and weaker. I know somebody who went to Russia to teach people how to run certain types of businesses after the beginning of perestroika. And I I met him when he got back off the airplane and said, well, how was it? And he says, "They're, they're dead. He said, 50 years of communism has killed them. They're walking around, but they're dead. They didn't know how to take care of a business. They didn't know how to take care of one another. They did not know how to be self-motivated anymore. They were just weak people. Subject to tyrants and mafia and everybody else, you know. 
And he said, the only hope is the next generation. Well, that next generation is now growing up. But we're going down. Now communism and socialism is thought of highly in the, as the kids come out of schools. Because we've gone down a river, down a way. So anyway, I've mentioned Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17, you can look it up. I've mentioned uh, Deuteronomy 7, which we, uh, we did a show on that to show you some of the meaning of words that the way that the kingdom of God works, it doesn't go around destroying and oppressing people and smiting people. It goes around living by faith, hope, and charity. And another force comes into play in your life and in your community and in your existence. So you can go look those up at preparingyou.com. But we're going to talk about Genesis today. Genesis 11. Because Genesis 11, it takes off right away. At the beginning of Genesis 11, we see, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they coming from the east, Jobab comes from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. So, now, there may have been people who really found a plain in the land of Shinar. But what does Shinar mean? What, what, what's the meaning of the word Shinar? Which is Shin, Nun, Aeon, Resh. And uh, it has a meaning. It says it has a foreign derivation of the, the word to begin with. And it's translated Shinar, but it's also tr- translated Babylonish. And it actually means the country of two rivers. Well, back in the Garden of Paradise, you had two trees. One tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other one was the tree of life. Now, the tree of life actually gave you understanding of what is good and evil. But it wasn't based on your own gnosis, your own knowledge, your own, your own brain. It was based on something else, this tree of life. And the tree of life is this yod, this divine revelation, this insight into what normally would be unseen. Because we live in this physical world around us, and we can see the world around us, but is there Parallel dimensions, like scientists are now saying. Is there a heaven and hell which are parallel dimensions to our own? And if so, are there creatures living in it? I mean, scientists are saying there are. They believe there are. They're trying to open a door to these other realms. Of course, the Bible said there was way back when. But people don't always understand the Bible because sometimes they read it with more superstition in their mind than understanding the revelation because that's the other word for religion is superstitio but we'll talk about that another time we'll be right back so welcome back to keys of the kingdom so 
the whole earth was one language. How do you know the whole earth was one language? How do we know that everybody all around the earth had one language at one time? And how would that even be? Because, you know, if you lived in England for a short period of time uh, back in 1600s, you, you, and you traveled from village to village, you would find that go, just going into another village, there were other words that people were using for common items. And this is just a few miles apart. And so how would you know what they were speaking in China if you were over in Great Britain on that island speaking your language? How would we all have one language? How would we not speak differently? Are they really talking about all having one language or are they talking about something else that's much more profound? Because as we saw with Deuteronomy 7, they're adding other letters to words to make them mean something more. But the translators don't seem to regard those changes. I mean, if if the Pentateuch was all written by the same guy, and he's changing words in one chapter of one book, drastically changing them, adding all kinds of letters and moving them around, he's telling us something more than we know. Somebody was pointing out that if you... If you go out and give IQ tests to everybody, and, and supposedly after the pandemic, I mean, there's there's evidence that children's IQ have dropped by as much as 20% just since the pandemic because of the masks, the nonsensical mask wearing, because it was nonsensical, because you weren't going to stop the flu from, you know, coronavirus from going around. You might slow it down a little bit, some instances with social distancing and and some washing of hands, but there, there's a price to pay. Because, I mean, cats, uh, wildlife can carry this coronavirus. Probably cows can carry it. It's going to be around. It's not going away. You need to develop immunity. We just had two people I know in the last year die in the local community. And uh, they were, I knew them for years. And they were the kind of guys you thought, these guys are like rocks. These are the, these are the, nothing's going to stop these guys. Well, one, one was stopped by Remdesivir. He, he, they put him, he went into the hospital and they put him on Remdesivir. And he died of kidney failure, common with people who go on Remdesivir. Didn't die of any illness. He died of kidney failure caused most likely by remdesivir. That's that's a side effect of remdesivir. They've known that since the very first trials. And the other one died of multiple infections because he, he did have cancer, but they gave him chemotherapy and his immune system just was devastated. He didn't die of the cancer. He died of multiple, this is what we heard yesterday, infections that just kept hitting him one after another because his immune system was destroyed by chemotherapy. 
But, you know, he died. And and the hospital people, they don't tell you that. But this is what the people who were there say. This is what he died of. And so now we have in the news today, uh, I actually heard about it a while back, but sudden, not sudden infant death syndrome, sudden adult death syndrome. People... Healthy, strong adults are just suddenly dying. Nobody seems to know why they're just suddenly dying. And this is growing in numbers. Now insurance companies are worried because the amount of deaths that are occurring, nobody can explain it. Or actually nobody wants to explain it because, what? They sit in darkness. So we're. how do you know what's going to happen? How do you know... What is good for you and what is bad for you? How do you know what is good and evil? How do you, how, how do you, can you figure this out by your personal knowledge? I mean, these doctors who've been doing these crazy things for the last two years, and there's quite a variety of different things that doctors are doing. They're all college educated. They've all gone to university. They've all had Years and years of training. But one says, no, don't do this. And the other one says, no, do do that. Well, why such wide-ranging opinions? Why do you have to censor so many people? They're all educated. They all got diplomas on their walls. But they have different ideas about what is good for you and what is evil for you. So how do you know? can't trust the experts. You know, and people who say, you know, you don't, you don't trust science. You question science. That's, that's what, that's why they call it science. It's because they're constantly questioning, why is this? Why is that? If this is so, why is this? That's what science does. It questions, tries to figure out what is the truth. But we know God is the truth. By definition, God is the truth. Now, I'm not saying the God that you think of as God is the truth. You might imagine some God that isn't the truth. You might imagine that you practice pure religion when you're actually practicing, practicing superstitio. And not doing what pure religion is. And we'll talk more about that at another time. So, But I have to kind of sneak up on you with the truth. Because it's going to be kind of scary when you actually start hearing the truth. So we were going to look at Genesis 11. The whole earth had one language. And one speech. Except for when you look at the word one. Which is normally Elif Hay Delet. You you don't see Elif Hay Delet. You see Elif Hay Tov. One language they're saying Elif Hay Tov. Why why did they change the Delet to a Tov when they wrote the word one? I mean, wouldn't it be spelled the same way all the time? Not if you wanted to say something different. One language and one speech. Well, I mean, that word one speech, that's spelled different too. You know, the the base word, Delet 
be it rash, uh, for speech, that's not what we see. Or the word one, Elif Hey Delet, we see Elif Hey Delet, but then they add a Yad Mim. Yad Mim, divine spark and flow. And speech, we see Bob Delet, be it Resh Yad Mim. So they've added three letters to that word. Speech. So, what, what are they telling us? What, what is he trying to impart to us? Well, of course, they journeyed to this place, Shinar, where there are two rivers, and dwelt there, where there are two rivers. Now there's two choices. You can go this way, or you can go that way. You see in verse 3, And they said, One to another, Go to, let us make bricks, and burn them through Thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone. And slime had they for mortar. So they've gone to this place, the river, and now they're making bricks. You know, I was actually just in a house this last week. I've worked in it many times, and uh, but there were new people in it. And I said, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit of the history of this house. I've been in every corner of it. I said, the bricks for this house, it was a brick house, were made in the backyard, right there in the backyard. The clay was dug from the river just about a block and a half away, hauled there by buckboard, piled up the clay and mixed it up and made these clay bricks. And they were just like mud bricks, you know. But then he stacked the mud bricks up in a particular pattern. He kept stacking them up so that he could throw wood in. And he collected all kinds of wood. And he started throwing the wood, started a fire and started throwing the wood in and just kept stoking the fire and stoking the fire and stoking the fire probably in the wintertime. And he, he turned clay into bricks like stone. Is that what they were doing down there by the river? Making bricks? And burning them thoroughly so that they had bricks for stone. And slime had they for mortar. How do you make mortar? Well, you get limestone. And you get either charcoal or coal. And you can dig into the side of a hill. And you fill it full of limestone and coal. And then you dig from the top of the hill down to this little cave that is full of limestone and coal. And you start the fire. And that works like a chimney. And when you get that fire roaring, you close off the air. You put mud and clay in front of the opening so it can't draw any more air. And you do the same thing on the top. And you just let it burn itself up. And the coal and the limestone will make cement. And then you can dig it out. I know no guys in Canada, that's how they they made their house and their barn out of poured concrete. They dug the gravel from the bank of the river and they made they dug the limestone and brought it down in a wagon. <laughs> There's nothing but hard work in that. And you know, so people talk like of the industrial age, oh think life got hard. No. Life got easy in the industrial age. What you think is mistreatment was actually easier in some ways. Now yeah, were there abuses? Yes. 
Is socialism the answer? Is communism the answer? No. The problem was that you had already departed down uh, the river going the wrong way. You got on the wrong side of the river and started going the wrong way. And that's what we see happening there in the land of Shinar. They're going the wrong way. They're making bricks for stone and slime they had for mortar. What what are these words they're talking about? And, and what, what do they talk about in the very next verse? Verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So, what, what's really going on here? Now, what, were they going to actually make a tower of Babel out of bricks? You know, you can only make a four-story brick building, usually. I mean, that, that's just kind of a rule of thumb for engineering. Because after you get up to four stories, the weight gets so great, it starts crushing the bricks below it. So, I don't know how high up they're going with this tower of Babel all the way to heaven. Or is this one of those symbolic stories like we saw in Deuteronomy 7 where they're telling us more? I mean, they got more letters there. So what are they really trying to tell us? So we can look at some of these words like the word go to. Yab is, is the word we see there. Which is, uh, you know, it's actually, uh, hey, be it, Hey, but did they add more letters? <laughs> are, they, are they trying to, uh, you know, is it, because go to can actually more often translated give. And uh, it's also translated go to about four times, but give 23 times. And, and bring twice and ascribe once. Now, admittedly, some of these places they add extra letters, but uh, what what is it? What what is the author really trying to tell us about? Is he talking about how to make a brick house, brick building that's going to reach all the way up to heaven? See, like people who who don't understand what the Bible's all about will probably criticize this. Well, you're not going to. You can only make a brick building that goes up four or five stories and then the bricks start getting crushed by the bricks above them because the weight becomes so great. So that's just nonsense. Nobody's going to get you know, build a building all the way to the heavens. But they've unmoored the metaphors so that they don't understand. I mean, even if we go back to the word journey, in uh, verse 2, what what word do they have there? It's, it's be it nun uh, shmek aon uh, mem. There's that mem again, that flow. As a matter of fact, from the east ends with, uh, begins and ends with a mem. So they're talking about the society moving in a direction. 
And in that, in that valley, there's two rivers. There's a choice. Yeah, I, see, I actually heard Glenn Beck. Somebody told me about a Glenn Beck story, or, or show, that he had. I think it started, uh, Juneteenth. Uh, The Idiot's Guide to Juneteenth. He just came out with it this last week or so. And, uh, he talks in it about Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence. You know, Thomas Jefferson, that slave owner, you know, that said that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. But evidently, he was a slave owner, so he didn't mean for black people. Well, anybody who would tell you that, anybody who tries to convince you of that, is ignorant, or a liar, or both. Could be ignorant and a liar. Because Thomas Jefferson, in his rough draft, he wants to end slavery. He, He uses the... The cause of slavery and, and the idea of enslaving people from Africa and bringing them to America, which he's, he's blaming the king for instrumentalizing this bringing of slaves from Africa. Now, obviously, the king didn't go down there and capture black people and enslave them. Other black people sold black people to ships from England who came along the shoreline. So, the blacks sold the blacks into slavery. There are probably some Muslims in some of these areas, because the Muslims were in the slave business for years and years and years. But it's, that's this history. But Jefferson wanted to end that. He wanted to free his slaves. He couldn't do it because the laws in Virginia wouldn't allow him to do it if he was in debt. And he was in debt because he had spent everything he had trying to set everybody else free. But he tried to get the law changed so that he could free the slaves even though he was in debt. But they they, they didn't change the law. But they didn't change the law because... They had been making these laws, and they'd been making these laws because they already started going down the wrong river. And Thomas Jefferson, you know, he understood that they needed to end slavery, and and most of the colonies were for ending slavery. There was only two, two of the 13 colonies that voted against those paragraph, that specific paragraph talking about Slavery is a major problem in America, and uh, we had to end it because it was an immoral activity. In his rough draft for the Declaration of Independence, there were two two colonies that voted against putting that terminology in the Declaration of Independence, and that was, I think, North Carolina and Georgia. But later on in Glenn Beck's program, he talks about the Tower of Babel. And, he, and somewhere along the line, somebody I, I, somebody said that a rabbi had told them this so that I couldn't find I wouldn't listen to the recording. I may try to do a video and include part of the recording in it. But the, the clay bricks, that was people. They were going to make this tower of Babel with people. And somehow they were going to 
turn those clay bricks into like stones. They're talking about a system that was going down a particular river of a, a pattern of life that was going to bring this Tower of Babel about. You know, in the Bible they talk about uh, let's build us a city and we be the cauldron or we be the flesh in the cauldron. They're going to build a city like a cauldron and we will be the flesh in that cauldron. Are they actually talking about building a city out of a big pot? No. This is the city of blood they're talking about. It's it's the one purse they talk about in Proverbs. Where we all have one purse. Because we're greedy for gain. We want to gain at the expense of other people who are in that purse. We want to get everybody in that purse together. So that we all own everything in common. In a way where somebody gets to divide the bread from house to house. Socialism is what they're talking about. The one purse is socialism. The the city of blood is socialism. The city that is a cauldron and we be the flesh, that's socialism. Which is going to eventually become communism, whether you want to call it communism or something else. But the key thing is that your individual rights are pooled with other people. Same thing they did with the golden calf. They're talking about the same thing, the same idea of all having one purse, all your wealth being in one treasury, everybody owns everything in common. Now, wait a minute. In, in the New Testament, they talk about early Christians owned all things common. Well, actually, they're not talking about the early Christians. They're talking about the early church owning all things common. Because the Levites owned all things common. That's why any Levite could redeem any other Levite's land if he tried to sell the land because he didn't really own the land. He only had a legal title to the land because the Levites were those who became bondservants of God. They didn't belong to themselves. They belonged to God. God wants you to belong to yourself. But the Levites were called out to take on a particular role in society. But the Levites were told that you are to take care of the needy of society to, to serve the tabernacles, the tents of the congregation of the people. But you are to do it with free will offerings. Charity. Not forced offerings. Which is tribute or taxation. You're not supposed to do it that way. Now, if you choose to do it that way, you may end up back in the bondage of Egypt... And you get to choose that way, but you're going down the wrong river. And it's it's going to lead you into bondage again. Now, if you want to get back out of bondage and back to liberty under God, you got to go the other way. you got to reject legal charity and start fervent charity to real religion instead of, instead of superstitio. Because superstitio... According to Polybius, is an instrument of the king. That's how he gets to be king. Is he gets you to turn your religion into mindless rituals instead of taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. 
Now, we're not really doing this show on superstition. We will save that later because we will go into it deeper. But we're doing it on Genesis 11 where there was a choice. You go down this river, go down that river. Go this way, you can go that way. Because that's, that's the word they're talking about. This, this word, go to. It's actually about a choice that you can make. And they said, they said one to another. Go to, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and slime. What's that word, slime? That's a, actually a different word too, but uh, it's actually some places it's translated asphalt. But anyway, for mortar and stick those bricks together to create what? Well, we'll have to take a look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, so they're down in this valley with two two rivers, then go one way or the other, and what they decide to do is to make bricks. And, of course, you make bricks out of clay. And, of course, we'll also see, or we have seen, and we've already done studies on altars of clay and altars of stone. They say altars of earth, but the actual word there for earth is Adama. And Adama is the clay which man is made out of. You know, there's lots of words for clay, but they're using it, and you could translate it clay, or you could translate it earth, or you could just say Adama. That's what Adam is made out of Adama. He is the clay. But they're going to take the clay, and they're not going to make an altar out of it. They're going to burn it. They're going to heat it up. And when you do that, two things happen. The clay shrinks. And when the fire is going, it can actually get white hot. But it also turns into like stone. It becomes rigid. It's not as pliable. It's it's molded and shaped according to what they want in a brick. That's, that, that's how you turn a dama into bricks. You heat them up under certain conditions. And then you can stick them together with slime, according to the way this is translated as slime. And you can hook these stones together, bind them together with this slime. Which is, like I said, also translated asphalt. Which asphalt, you you actually mix gravel and tar and you heat it up and then you pour it on the road and you press it into place and you can make uh, your roads with it. So how much of this is metaphor describing something? Because, I mean, that word that we see as as asphalt or, or actually in this case they translate it slime, it's, it appears twice in the Bible where it's translated slime. But a very similar word is also um, translated asphalt. And uh, actually, it's probably not normally in the Bible is it translated asphalt, but uh, 
uh, it's translated, uh, well, uh, I'm looking at the actual word, uh, shamar, uh, jet, uh, mem, rash, and it's translated red one time, troubled three times, uh, it supposedly means like boil or foam or foam up or ferment. But that's the word from which we get this word slime. And of course when you mix your mortar, the, all these words in the Hebrew, they will have a physical meaning and they will have a more abstract meaning to them. Which is why the same word... You know, that they translate it daub or red. They can also translate troubled. And so, if we look at this, the same way, we saw the same sophistry with the altars of clay and, and stone, or earth and stone. We we're supposed to build these altars of earth. You know, this is part of the solution. And then your your sacrifices go on these altars of earth. And, and then you're also to build altars of stone. But you weren't to hew them or chisel them. Because that would be regulating them. But see, what they wanted to do is take the clay, the Adama, and heat it up and make it into a brick. Make it so that it it didn't, it could, it wasn't malleable anymore. And, of course, we've talked about this, Noah Harari and the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab. And Noah, and, and it's, it was interesting, Glenn Beck was also talking about Noah Harari, who says that you don't have free choice. He says that free choice, free will is a myth. Your choices are just a product of everything that went before, of your genetics, of what you were taught, and everything. And we can mold you so that you don't make choices. You only choose this way. They can hack the genome and, and control you. They can turn you into bricks. They can, they can make their tower a babel. Their, their, their tower. What, what do they mean by tower? You know, that, that same word tower in the Hebrew... That's where you get the word Magdalena. Magdala. Yeah, because a, a tower is actually a bloodline. A genetic bloodline. That, like we use the word tree, you know, family tree. Well, they w- would have a family tower. And then, and then you go into the chapter right after that and they're saying so and so begat so and so and, and, and they're talking about a family line. Where there's somebody who owns everything. They're the, they're the top guy. This is what this story is really about. It's not about a brick building. It's about turning you into bricks. Where you're no longer malleable clay. Christ talks about being a potter. You know, molding the clay. But... They're talking about making you a brick. <laughs> and, and where God can't, where you're not malleable anymore by God. So how does, how does God operate? Does God operate by force? I mean, we talk about the wrath of God and we've explained that. that the wrath of God is simply, God created a universe of cause and effect. You do have choice. You don't have choice about everything. 
you make a choice to go this way and your choices are now limited because you're going this way. You have a different set of choices if you went that way. But you didn't go that way. You decided to go this way. So now you only have these choices. And 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 the more you go that way, the more and more limited your choices get. If you close your eyes, if you choose to close your eyes, your next choices will be made based on the fact that your eyes are closed. That you're in darkness. You can't see what you're doing. So something else will manipulate your choices. So if you choose to close your eyes, your the choices you have are limited. So yeah, you don't choose everything. Harari is right about that. But the idea there's no free will, no, there is free will. You can choose, choose to go to the left, you can choose to go to the right. But once you choose to go to the right, your only choice after that is to repent and go back to where you were. Because <laughs> it's like a river. You know, if you go down this branch of the river, you're going down that branch of the river. If you go down this branch of the river, you're going down that branch of the river. You don't have a choice to jump back and forth. Once you've taken one choice, your course is set. You're going that way. And of course, the way of Noah Harari and Klaus Schwab is turn you all into bricks. And build their city and their tower with your bodies, with your flesh and blood that's no longer flesh and blood but have become stones. That's their goal. That's what they're doing. They're doing it again. They're building their tower of Babel, Babel, where you end up babbling. And you have all these people out there with their different opinions and nobody's making any sense. They can't understand each other. That was one of the things that just recently with the, the Supreme Court ruling and, and people like Clarence Thomas is saying that something happens to the people now that they you can't you can't even converse with them. If they if you make a decision they don't like, then they just become this radical uh single minded set or mindset where they cannot think any other way. They become outraged. Now you have Supreme Court justices being threatened, even by men in Congress. That isn't the way of righteousness. That isn't the way of God. But of course, if we were actually going the way of God, there would not be a Supreme Court. You would not need a Supreme Court. I mean, they they had a kind of Supreme Court in uh, in Israel. They had the forty eight different. Uh, Judicial districts. But most cases were decided locally in literally what you would, you know, where the juries decided fact and law. They, they interpreted the facts and law. See, today in your courts, you don't have that. Even though in most con- uh, constitutions in most of the states, in your 48 contiguous states, in, in your 50 states, most of the states, they have references in their constitutions to juries have the right to decide fact and law. You go into court today and you say, Judge, do I have the right to decide fact and law? You'll be told to sit down and shut up. (laughs) The judge will tell you, I decide the law. You just decide the facts. I mean, I can show you the Supreme Court rulings that said this over and over again, that 
this this was not only a right of the individual to decide fact and law, it was a responsibility to decide fact and law. But now if you go into court, and we have letters, you can go to preparing you, look up the word jury. And there's links there to letters I've had back and forth to the top administrative court heads in Oregon and judges and and had this conversation with them. Of course, I knew what the answer was, and I was just baiting them, but I did it so that you could read those letters and figure out what's going on. But the fact is, is you're not going to figure out what's going on if you're going to continue to go down the wrong river and go the wrong way. You have to repent. You have to go back to the way that Christ said to go. Well, most people don't know they have to go back to the way that Christ said to go because they think they're going the way that Christ said. They think they believe in Jesus. They're actually workers of iniquity, taking a bite out of one another, taking from their neighbors so that they can have more free stuff. They're coveting their neighbor's goods. Paul said you're not supposed to do that. Jesus said you're not supposed to do that. Moses said you weren't supposed to do this. All the prophets said you weren't supposed to do that. But FDR said it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through my government. And everybody said, okay, we'll go with you, FDR. We'll turn our neighbors into bricks. And we'll build our city of blood. And you won't have the choices you had when you were free souls under God. Because we're going to fire you in our furnaces. Things heated up during COVID. (laughs) Everybody had to wear masks. Everybody, you know, how many people lost their jobs because they didn't want to get a vaccination? How many people got a vaccination because they feared losing their job? Because you, you've created a government that operates by force, fear, and fealty. And then you wonder why they're bossing you around. Well, you've been bossing your neighbor around. You went down the wrong river. You were in the land of Shinar. You could have gone this way and continued with pure religion, taking care of the needy of your society, or you could sign up for you know, register with the government and say, well, now the government will take care of the needy of our society and we'll just go watch the game or, you know, buy a, you know, a, a motorboat or a motor skis or some other toys to make us happy. But we don't mind making our neighbors into bricks. We don't mind taking away the rights and choices of our neighbors. As long as we get free stuff. So you made your neighbors into bricks and now you built your city. But the weight of your city is beginning to collapse. Runaway inflation. Price of gas overnight. Doubled. Price of everything in the stores is going to double. And soon you won't even be able to get them. Even if you had the money. Oh, the government will offer you more food stamps and, you know, all this stuff. But every time they offer you a gift, you lose more rights. They're just turning up the heat. Making more and more bricks. For a bigger and bigger city. But eventually, everything will collapse. Already, you're supposed to social distance. You're not supposed to talk to one another. You're supposed to distance yourself from one another. So, 
they're already dividing you. See, in the kingdom of God, the division of power is between every individual. But we're getting rid of individuals. We're sticking you together. We make you into bricks and we stick you together with slime. <laughs> At least that's the way they translate it. You can say mortar. It says slime had they for mortar. So they're not saying we had mortar for mortar. We're saying we had slime for mortar. And, and, and the, like I said, that word slime is this shamar for mortar. So what's the deal with that? This slime for mortar. Uh, it, it's actually a word, nun, hey, uh, let's see, no, is it nun, yeah, nun, hey, hey, mem, resh. And so, what, what's the base word? This, that we're, we're we should be seeing here. And, and what are the extra letters that they're adding into this? Well, the base, the base word is just, uh, jet, mem, resh. But they're adding more letters to it because they're adding more meaning to it. You know, and the first letter is, uh, actually the first letter in this particular instance is Bob, which is a division letter, divides you away. And, and then it divides you away in authority, which is the memresh, the flow. Of authority. It divides you from authority. You're not an individual anymore. You're part of the collective. You're part of the group. And they're sticking you together. That's what this word that is often translated or could be translated asphalt, but they're translating it slime for mortar to stick you together, to bind you together. And you don't even know it. See, in the kingdom of God, there are social bonds that bind you together, but that's pure religion. You're bound together by love. I mean, these are the people that were there when I got sick. These are the people who were there when I needed help. These are the people who were there when, you know, my crops failed and I didn't have enough food. But that's not, you're, you're going to actually be at enmity with one another because you're forced. It's about control. So I'm trying to lay out this picture so you see beyond the words of Genesis 11 and where they're taking you. They're sticking you together. They're making you the city itself. They're making you the bricks that hold them up as towers. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. And a tower. And the top. In the heavens. And let us make for ourselves. A name. A name. Not the name of Christ. <laughs> Lest we be scattered abroad. Over the face of all the earth. And now according to the story. Everybody gets scattered anyway. But they, they're 
they're trying to bind you together. I mean, why did they have the golden calf? Now, those of you who've already heard the story about the golden calf, the golden calf was a way in which to bind the people together. You would take the gold that is your most portable means of wealth, and you don't put it in your purse like Moses said. You're going to put it in the golden calf. So that when the enemy attacks, if you flee, you leave your wealth. You're behind in the golden calf. In the central treasury. In the reserve fund. That's what that golden calf was. And that's why so many city-states had this. This is a way of binding the people together. Because they bind their wealth together. Their most portable form of wealth. When the enemy attacks, they can't just, you know, grab as much gold as they can in their pockets and run over the hill. Because it's in the, it's in the statue. They don't have control over their wealth. That's just one of the ways they bind you together. They can make you bricks as well. <laughs> and bind you together. But this is what they're up to. This is what they're doing. This is what they've already done. And you can repent now, though, and you have to go back to what Christ said to do, which you bind together with faith, hope, and charity. But you have to create a system of charity in order to do this. A system whereby you are taking care of one another through faith, not through force. If you're doing it through force, you have an entitlement, but they also have an entitlement to you. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower. Whose top may reach unto heaven. And what does that mean by heaven? Let us make us a name. So they all have one name. Because, I mean, I have a name, you have a name, but we're going to make a name. Lest we be scattered. So that we can't be independent anymore. We can't be individuals anymore. We're bound together by slime. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded, how they bound each other together. All the stones, all the clay now as stones, bound together as slime. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, like one purse, and they have all one language. Does it really mean language? Or does it mean that they become this common person? They're not individuals anymore. And they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. They have fallen to their own imagination. They they now have one mind. Isn't this what Noah Harari's talking about doing where he controls everybody's mind where you don't have choice anymore he's limited your choices he's built his Babylon the Great with the help of Klaus Schwab and all the others that you know all the other new guys Trudeau all these guys they're not they're not interested in individual rights they're not interested in individuals coming together as living altars of clay, of earth and stone. They're interested in building their city, sticking you all together, limiting your movement, limiting your choices, limiting your rights. 
And so, in verse 7, go to, let us go down. And there, and confound their language, and they may not understand one another's speech. How much understanding do you see amongst the people today? Amongst the writers? Are they, are they known for their understanding? I mean, you have Antifa. Anti-fascists. Who are the most fascist people I know of. They have the most fascist policies of anybody. They don't even see it. And, and, and they, they have, well, you know, one thing that makes it so you can't understand their speech is they've got, they got an extra hundred pronouns. <laughs> and, and you ask somebody to be this on the Supreme Court and you say, well, can you define a woman? No, I can't define a woman. But aren't you a woman? No, I can't define a woman. Do I look like a biologist? I always, it just bothered me something fierce that when they, she said that. I'm, I'm not a biologist, so I can't define a woman. I would have said, so you're telling me that defining a woman is a biological issue? <laughs> so if you're biologically a woman, you're a woman. If you're not biologically a woman, you're not a woman. You mean like it used to be? <laughs> but, uh, they they just seem to miss that opportunity. <laughs> but uh, but it, even if you pointed that out, they're already confounded. They're already confusion. They're already living in darkness because they don't see anything wrong with living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. They don't see anything wrong with baking men that were once malleable clay into bricks, shrinking their choices, binding them. They think that's good because they can build their tower. Therefore, is the name called Babel? Because that's what they're doing. That the it, the Lord now when they say in the in the uh, the uh, biblical text, the word Lord there is the Yadevahe, the existing one, scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. In other words, the, their attempt to build the city failed. But the Lord, Yahweh, the existing one, the truth, is going to scatter them. It's going to divide them. Their inclusive philosophy will divide them completely. That They think they're going to be more inclusive and they're actually going to be more divided than ever. Because, not because God chose to do that, because it's built in to, to nature. It's a cause and effect God. If you choose to go this way, Choices are already made for you because you chose to go that way. And you chose to go the way of covetousness. Coveting your neighbor's goods. Coveting your neighbor's rights. Coveting your neighbor's ability to think 
the way he wants to think, to live the way he wants to live, to raise his children the way he wants to raise his children. You don't want him to have those rights. You want to take those rights away from him so your rights will be taken away from you because as you judge, so shall you be judged in the cause and effect universe. So you're back in Babylon again and you're trying to figure out what's the solution. Well, we'll be back and talk about that. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what's the answer? We're all building this Babylon. We're all fired in the furnaces of the modern society. Uh, and we think we're practicing religion when we're actually practicing superstitio, which is a, a topic that we will get to at another time. But uh, I thought I would lay the groundwork, I guess, uh, for this and, and what we're really going to be uh, needing to understand in order to find our way back to liberty under God because the way that people are going now, they're not going to be finding that liberty under God. They're going to be going more and more into Babylon. They are going to be becoming more and more human resources uh, for the world. And in these first verses of this, then, then it gets into... Uh, a whole section where it's talking about these generations of Shem. And Shem lived uh, for this long time. And there's Arphax said, uh, who lives for hundreds of years. And and uh, we see this going down and going down and going down. All these Rehu and Sorug and, and Nahor and Terah. And, of course, Terah is the father of Abraham. And uh, who also had a son, Nahor, and a son, Haran. And Haran dies in Ur. Or is killed in Ur. He, he, he loses his life in Ur. And so then, after that, when we get into Genesis 12, and the Lord says to Abram to get out of Ur. And what is Ur? Ur is one of those cities. It's got the Hammurabi codes and it's, it's, it's built its furnaces and it's turned the people into bricks, into human resources. And they had these human resources as stones. And we can go into all the metaphors and all that stuff. But what was really happening is the same thing that was happening at the time of the Pharisees. They were creating these systems of social welfare whereby you signed up and men who exercised authority one over the other took from those who had and redistributed to those that did not have enough based on their criteria. You know, were you obeying our commandments, you get more benefits. If you're bowing down to us, you get these benefits. If you don't bow down to us, if you do not give up some of your choices, or some of your rights, we won't give you any of these benefits until you couldn't even buy or sell without their number, without their ID, without their badge of servitude. The same process that we see going on there in Genesis 11 where you're being turned into bricks is what's gone on today for the last hundred years. 
And so, if you read in Genesis 12, Abraham is supposed to go this other way and, and build these other altars and and not oppress the people, not even take a buckle of benefits from the city-states of places like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he's just going to set people free. He's not going to take the buckles or the people. If we go back to before this, you know, in uh, Genesis 9, God blessed Noah and his sons. How did he bless them? He said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, there had been a flood. These guys survived. There were hard times. Everybody everybody drowning. How many people drowned? Everybody but eight people, some will say. Well, it's based on their interpretation. Because they don't know all the meaning of all the words that they're reading. You're not supposed to believe in translators. You're supposed to believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to tell you, wait a minute, there's something wrong with the way you're telling this story. There's something wrong with the way you're translating this. And and ultimately, that's where you have to be with all this. If you get into, you know, Genesis uh, 10. Now, there are the generations of the sons of Noah. So he's telling you, Shem and Ham and Jepheth. And under them, there were born after the flood, the sons of Jepheth and Gomer and Magog and Madai and... Javan and Tubal, Meshech, Tyrus. He's talking about all these people. Generation after generation. And then, and of course, we go back to the beginning. Noah was picked because he was righteous in his generations. What does that mean? That's another whole story. And we've talked about that before. You can, you can go and download all these at Preparing You or uh, on your own personal podcast, just look for Keys to the Kingdom. But I want you to understand that there's a lot more going on than just building bricks. He's building his cities of blood. His cities that are like Sodom and Gomorrah, that in a time of affluence, they do not strengthen the poor, they actually weaken the poor. And they're telling you that in the original language. But who's telling you in your heart? You look at at the world and we see this huge loss of freedom in the last couple of years. But I've lived more than the last couple of years. I've seen a huge loss of freedom over the last several decades. Over the last 70 years. And because I'm a student of history, I can see the whole process... Because I'm willing to see the mistakes that we're making. And we've made lots of them. We've gone down lots of rivers we should have never gone down. And we need to repent of that. But Abraham, he goes and does something completely different. He had to get out of, you know, he was destined to be the high up, wealthy man. Because he's the son of Terah. He's going to inherit everything. He leaves that inheritance and leaves it to Nahor. And Haran is already dead, probably put to death by the Hammurabi codes, which you could be put to death if you helped a slave escape. Because they were big believers in slavery. 
Now, Abraham had servants, but he didn't enslave. They could come or go. They stayed with him out of loyalty, not because he owned them. Although Abraham made mistakes, but long comes Melchizedek when Abraham, you know, he has to go and fight these armies and he's able to raise an army to fight these armies overnight. I mean, he had, he had hundreds of guys in his own household. But it was the other armies that came along, the people from all around about him that came along and supported him. Just chose to go and fight and protect Abraham and his family. They chose to do that because Abraham wasn't their king. He wasn't their ruler. He wasn't like Nimrod. He wasn't a mighty provider instead of the Lord. He showed them how to build altars of living stone where you freely contributed to a network of charity. That's what the altars were. That's always what, they were always living stones. And that bound the people together in social bonds that made society stronger and stronger. The social bonds of Sodom and Gomorrah weakened the people. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor, they weakened the poor. We see that over the last 70 years in the black community, thanks to FDR and LBJ's war on poverty. They have weakened the black community, divided the black community. Per capita, there are less blacks in America today than there was 70 years ago, thanks to abortion, thanks to a breakdown of the family, thanks to socialism. Because socialism breaks down the family. Just look at so many of these socialist countries, how their families are broken down and become weak. And so other people can come in and literally invade their country and take over. But Abraham was going to go this other way. He had to get out. He had to go back this other way. And along come Melchizedek. Who, who is Melchizedek? The righteous king of peace. For, for centuries, Jewish scholars have said Melchizedek was Shem. According to the chronology, Shem was still alive at that time. And Shem had not blessed generation after generation, but Melchizedek blessed Abraham. He now inherited the world, but not to take over and rule over and oppress other people. And of course, he was chosen because he did not oppress. He would not take the souls of men. He was not a Canaanite. Are you a Canaanite? Are you willing to oppress your neighbor to get free stuff? Then you're a Canaanite. You will become a brick because you're going to be fired in the oven of your own making. Like I told you, that guy who made that brick house. The oven he baked the bricks in was made out of the bricks he was baking. He ordered them in a certain fashion so that the flame would he The ones on the very inner, innermost part of his kiln, those became chimney bricks. Other bricks that went along the outside of the house, they were farther out in the kiln. Way out on the outside of the kiln, there were, there were bricks that were almost twice as big. 
They were fired. They were bricks, but they weren't as tough. Use them in the interior walls between a closet and another room. And I could see them when I, I took off a veneer. And I could see you could actually etch your thumbnail through the brick. It wasn't that hard. But the kiln itself made the bricks. They just added the fire. This is where you're at. You've you've made your neighbor the bricks in the kiln. And and you're trying to have them fired the most, I guess. You're you've created a covetous system where your benefits are dependent upon your ability and willingness to oppress your neighbor. The only way to freedom is to go back the other way, take the other river, the river of Christ, the mem of Christ, the righteous the word altar in the Hebrew begins with the letter M. It's the flow of righteousness by living by faith, hope, and charity. And the only way you can do that is the way Christ commanded is to sit down in these networks of tens, hundreds, and thousands where you start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. While the the Kyle Schwab's of the world don't want you to care about your neighbor. The Noah Harari's Want you to think you have no choices. You have no free will. It's okay to take a bite out of one another. He talks about the useless eaters. He talks about the ones that will not be kept around. We don't need big armies. We don't need, we just need a few people to get things done. And the elites can live forever. That's what they're saying. That is his story. We've done shows before. You can look them up. It is the story of the devil. And it is the lie that it has always given us. And you're going to lose dominion. See, all the people of the world were losing their dominion when they were becoming these bricks for the cities of Babylon. But Abraham got out of those cities. And did something completely different. Christ was teaching us what to do. How to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. In pure religion. Unspotted by the world. The constitutional order and system of government. That's what the word means there when it says unspotted by the world. It means unspotted by these systems of covetous practices that take away from your neighbor. So that you can have free stuff at the expense of your neighbor. And you're willing to oppress your neighbor. That makes you a worker of iniquity. That makes you so that you will be rejected by the real Christ. Your imaginary Christ loves you. I mean, even the real Christ loves you. But he hates your deeds. And the deeds of those who are workers of iniquity said, Get ye from me. Until you repent. Until you change your deeds. Go the other way, the righteous way. You've gone down the river of Babylon. Turning your neighbors into bricks and stones. Sticking them together with rules and regulations. You don't even know what a free society looks like or how it even functions anymore. Because you didn't understand Genesis 11. (laughs) Or 12 or 13 or 14 or 9 or 10. 
This is the constant battle. Either we are becoming more and more savages, biting one another more and more, devouring one another, and being devoured ourselves. Or we're going the ways of righteousness and living and trusting in the righteousness of God, which is allowing your neighbor to voluntarily come together with each other. Not build us a city of blood, but build us a city of righteousness upon the hill of Christ, upon the rock of Christ. Cursing not our neighbors, cursing not our children. As it says in verse 3 of Genesis 12. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Why? Because Abraham was willing to bless others. Show them the ways of righteousness. So he was also He wasn't righteous, but he was considered as righteous. But if you're going to go the way of unrighteousness, of force, of fear, of fealty, then you're going to be counted amongst the Canaanites. Uh, And you will become their merchandise, their human resources. That's what Peter says. Through your covetous practices, you will be made merchandise. You will curse your children with trillions and trillions of dollars in debt so that every child is born a slave. Yeah, there was just uh, recently, uh, uh, to Prager U, Candace Owens did a thing on slavery, pointing out that slavery wasn't invented by white men. And, and told a little bit of the history of slavery. And at one point, she talks about slavery in Egypt. Except that wasn't called slavery. I mean, we call it slavery now when we're looking back, but historians will say that slavery was never really a big thing in Egypt because they had something else. It was like slavery, but it wasn't. People weren't captured because they went and captured you from your city or your town or your village and dragged you and put you in chains. You put yourself in chains because you were willing to put your neighbor in chains. That's a Corvi system, a statutory bondage. You signed up to put your neighbor into bondage so that you could have guarantees and securities and protection. And that put you into bondage. So it really wasn't anything in the Constitution that it gave them the power to put you into bondage except the power to contract, to make agreements. Your parents made the agreements. You made the agreements. You all wanted benefits. You say, okay, well, I don't want the benefits. I would just want to be free. Well, now you have to go back, though. You can't jump (laughs) into the other river from where you're at. You have to go back to where you care about your neighbor's freedom as much as you care about your own. Because what got you to where you were at is the fact that somebody cared about their benefits, their freedom, their advantage, more than they cared about their neighbor. And it puts you down 
where now you're in bondage again. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. It's not 20% of your labor belongs to government. 20, 30, 40%. With this inflation, the graduated income tax is going to get more and more graduated. Like I said, when it was first, income tax was first allowed on individual labor, which is when you got your social security number. But that's another whole story. We explain that in great detail. But when that came about was when you desired benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And you could make $10,000. You could buy three big homes for $10,000. And you didn't owe any taxes. If you, it made, you, cause you, you weren't super wealthy. It was only the super wealthy that were going to pay income tax. Because you had to, it would be like if today, it, you know, if a house costs thirty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars today, you you would have to make a million dollars before you had to pay any income tax whatsoever when it was first instituted. But now with inflation, everybody's paying income tax. Everybody belongs to somebody because the Canaanites are the merchants of men. And now you've gone back into the bondage of Egypt, back into the bondage of Babylon. And the only way back is to start going back and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. It's not enough not to want the benefits at this point in time. You have to want to become the benefit of your neighbor. You have to become willing to lay down some of your life. You have to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You haven't been doing that. Your churches say, oh yeah, well you love, but it's just an emotional thing. You actually covet your neighbor's goods and send men to your neighbor's house to get free stuff for you. Free education, free fire department, free health care. It sets the flow in a particular direction in your life. The flow of energy in your life. And it will drag you into the dark side. Drag you into the darkness of life. And away from the light. You, you'll actually hate the light. You'll think you're born again, but if you go read those verses on being born again... Go read verse 19, 20, 21, 22. If you hate the light, if you're still workers of iniquity, you're not born again. It's just your imagination. You imagine that you're born again. Because you, it says, I mean, that's what it says. You're, you're, if you're still doing evil, you're still coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. Something Christ said, it was not to be that way with you. Then you're not obeying Christ. Then you're not abiding in his love. He wants to love you. But he hates your deeds. You need to repent. You need to think differently. And this is what we're trying to show you. is how to think differently. And it's quite a bit different than what most people, what most people are used to. 
Thank you. Because you've been going the wrong way for so long. And you, and man, people do not know the way back to righteousness under God. So anyway, like I said, you can go to Deuteronomy 7 and see more about words and we'll put up more on Genesis 11. And of course, we've got a lot on Abraham and the merchants of men. Uh, you can go to preparingyou.com and uh, look for the outline of the website. And it has lots and lots of different stories there uh, that uh, and articles, you know, on homeschooling and home health and, and uh, links to all of our audios and different groups that you can join. But the most important thing is probably to seek to join the living network of people that are starting to learn the ways of Christ, the ways of Moses, the ways of Noah. To take care of one another through charity. Such an original idea. It's not the idea that LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson had. He had the idea, no, we'll take care of one another through force, through the welfare of the state. But David told you that that table was a snare. And of course now you've been snared. So anyway, join us on the network. Seek to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and become a part of the living network. And until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.